Let's go before the Lord together as I lead us in prayer. Well, Lord, you are not a God who delights in wickedness. And yet at the same time, you have fully provided for the penalty of the sin of everyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus. And you love returning, repenting sinners. We thank you for our Lord Jesus, the friend of sinners. Grateful to come to you, O Lord, through him. Mindful that this is the only way that we can come. Father, we ask through the word and through the sacrament of the Lord's Supper that you would turn, would turn our hearts to you. That you would fill us with a sense of awe and wonder at your grace and your favor to us through Christ and his perfect finished work on our behalf. We have confessed uh, generally and privately, but we're mindful. We're just mindful of the fact of remaining sin. We ask that you would forgive us for the things that we don't even know that we are doing that are wrong. How many ways we fail to love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and our neighbor as ourselves. And from that position of repentance and faith that we should constantly remain in, fill us with joy, fill us with grace, fill us with an understanding of how much we are loved and how important we are to you, so important to you that not only did you make us in your image to serve you, that you sent your only begotten perfect son into the world to die in our place. Father, help us to live in his presence constantly, moment by moment, through the grace of the Holy Spirit at work in us. Fill us with your grace. Fill us with love for you, love for people made in your image who desperately need this message, especially those we live closest with in our families. Teach us grace. Turn our hearts away from selfishness and self-absorption. Father, fill us with husbands with a desire to, to um, lead our, our wives in a godly way by sacrificing ourselves and our selfish interests on their behalf. Teach us as wives to humbly respect our husbands. Teach us as children to obey and honor parents. And those in authority, teach us all as, as children to respect authority in a godly way. Father, we live in the midst of uh, a people of unclean lips, unclean eyes. 
There are so many wicked things that are set before us constantly. Turn our eyes and turn our hearts away from wickedness. Father, that which is profane, that which is vile, take away any desire in us to pursue those things. Father, help us to live our lives in such a way that we have no fear of you, of those in authority. And Father, when we have opportunity to speak the truth publicly, that we would do so with great boldness, without any reservation, without any holding back. Our hearts are troubled by the culture we live in, by our national government, by our local uh, uh, government. We're grateful for the gifts of government that you give all mankind. We're grateful for the, our institutions that we were founded on godly principles. But, Father, as we look carefully, we see how far things have strayed. Indeed, we have representatives from the top to the bottom who truly do represent a people who have gone astray. And, Father, Wicked rulers are a judgment on the people, and we see it. We pray that you would be merciful. We pray for repentance. We th we're thankful for godly men and women that are putting themselves forward for public office. Increase their tribe, increase their influence. We pray for leaders who would do what's right and not merely what is good for themselves and not merely what is political expedience. Our hearts are especially troubled for the unborn children and the onslaught that has been unleashed. Those who are suffering in prison, even in our own country, for their advocacy for life. Think of these dear ones over in Tennessee. We pray for them, their families. They face harsh prison sentences for, seek, for simply speaking out uh, for life. Father, we pray for um, uh, this election year and the process of election year that we would be wise stewards, those of us who have been, give, been given the right to vote, to elect leaders, that we'd be wise. Do you give us... Um, you put people before us that uh, we ask for for those uh, those decisions to be clear for us what needs to be done. Father, many of us, probably all of us, have family members, friends, fellow workers, um, people we interact with as our neighbors every day or being swept away in the tide of this world, its filth and its temptations. Have mercy upon them. Father, give us the opportunity to share our faith, to tell, be able to tell them that heaven is a free gift that's not earned or deserved, that comes solely through the righteousness that you provide through Christ. We deserve judgment. You have provided life to all who will turn and put their faith in you. Father, we pray your blessings upon those who are traveling, those who are involved in travel difficulties like our own Jay Bruce right now. We pray for those who are away. Give them traveling mercies there and back. 
We pray for um, um, many who in our church who are awaiting test results, who are concerned about uh, outcomes, who are wondering uh, uh, with some fear and trepidation what that might hold. We pray that, that the news would be good. And we know for, for those who are in Christ that all things work together for good to those who love you and are called according to your purpose. But for, for uh, our sake and for their sake, we ask that you would heal and restore them fully. Father, we have those who are shut in, those who are dealing with uh, chronic illness and disease that uh, put them at the end of life. And we ask for your care and for your comfort for them. We pray for those who are struggling in various relationships. Some are struggling in their marriage. Some are, have uh, struggles in their family. There are consequences of broken relationships and at work and in other places that are difficult. We ask in all of these things that your grace would be sufficient. And we thank you for the precious promise that your power is perfected in weakness. Thank you for the opportunity to gather as, as we open the word, we read it as it is applied. May it be applied faithfully as we come to the Lord's table. May we indeed do the spiritual work to confess any sins known or unknown before you, that we might come to fellowship with you and our brothers and sisters here and in the, the church around the world and in, and in heaven in such a way that strengthens our faith and strengthens our, our desire to serve you fully. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn your Bibles again to Romans chapter 1. I'll begin reading at verse 28, where we left off last week. I'm going to back up to verse 22. It's not on the screen, but I'm going to back up to verse 22. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of, about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not fit, see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They are filled with all manner of unrighteousness, 
evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Father, bless their understanding. The reading of your infallible, inerrant word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The theme of this whole section that I reread, really going back to verse 18, I didn't read all of this, but the whole section is that God's wrath, God's righteous indignation is revealed against all sin in all times, among all people. It says that God's word and his righteousness and the truth of who he is has gone out into all the world in such a way that no one can claim they haven't heard and they don't understand. It is the Bible's very clear teaching that every human being understands right from wrong. The, the words here in Romans 1 could not be more clear that that Moral compass is a part of being made in the image of God. And his truth about who he is and his righteousness has gone, on, gone out to all the world. And what results from our sin nature, which we inherited from our first parents, and has passed down through generation after generation is a heart that has turned to all unrighteousness and all ungodliness, which is all of God's commandments. There's the book of nature, which clearly tells us what's right and wrong. People instinctively know what is right and what is wrong. And then there is the book of God, which clarifies that. In the Ten Commandments. Here the Apostle proceeds to further detail the decline of humanity. When men reject God, reject His Word, when people, when nations collectively do so, there is, a, all, there is always this progression. Not only for the nations, the first chapter of, of Romans is mainly dealing with the Gentile nations and the, the wickedness of the Gentile world, which mostly includes us. Then we see immediately, chapter 2, he's going to talk about the Jewish nation and their unrighteousness, that they do the very same thing. And Paul's point in these first three chapters of Romans is to show that everyone, whether they're Jew or whether they're Gentile, are all equally under the condemnation of a righteous, holy God. 
I found preparing for this message to be extremely difficult. I uh, decided that I would just try to dive in to understand some of the some of the uh, background of the Roman culture in which the Bible was given. And frankly, I would, I would not recommend that to anyone as something that would be an instance of furthering your sanctification. The short part of it is, ancient Rome was every bit as wicked as our current society, if not more so. Every single, well, with one exception, every Roman emperor was involved in homosexual relations, with one notable, famous exception. And he was considered an oddity. It was so rampant in the culture that uh, there was no place you could turn that it was not constantly in the face of the Roman citizen everywhere they went. Sound familiar? Well, this is where we have arrived. This is what happens when a culture um, turns its back upon the creator and the word, the eternal word of God who has revealed himself in his book. It was a given. It was a common behavior. The Christian influence suddenly enters in to that culture, and it is a source of great disruption and great confrontation to the wickedness that exists. Paul is not mincing words. He is writing a letter that he knows will be widely circulated in the capital of the Roman Empire, which was the only empire of the world. He is so fearless that he will not shrink back and he will pay the ultimate price. He will finally be given up by... um, Uh, his enemies, the enemies of the truth. And he he will be martyred at the end of his life. He will be beheaded. He will spend the rest of his days in a crummy dungeon in the heart of Rome and then be beheaded for the sake of the gospel and the truth of the gospel. In verse 28, which is where I want to begin, the, the descent into rebellion against God in the area of sexual relationships always ends up in the same place. because they, And it starts from the same source. And the source is that they did not see fit to acknowledge God. They completely focused upon themselves. That was the Greek and the Roman religion. They had... These, this pantheon of gods, but all the gods' uh, attention was focused on the self of the individual. And the way you got favor with the gods was to thrust yourself out as a champion 
of them and their behaviors. And if you, and again, I think this is one of the difficulties of classical education is uh, so much of it is taken up with these stories, these, these uh, very vile stories of the Greek and Roman gods. They reflected what was in the heart. They reflected the rebellion that God, in his word, is revealing through the apostle Paul here. Result of rejecting the word of God. And what God says is God gave them up to a debased mind and to debased passions. What is a are uh, di- dishonorable passions. What is a dishonorable passion? It's a dishonorable passion is any type of sexual activity outside of the God ordained institution of marriage between a man and a woman. That that is a that is. That is a radically countercultural truth, but that is what it is. If you have sexual passion that is oriented in any other way in your life, it is a dishonorable passion. And specifically, based on the context of this passage, He has in view here homosexual behavior. It's clear. He makes it clear. There's no no moment of thought. I read read uh, an article this week that that someone who's supposed to be a Bible teacher said it's it's okay to have this if you just have it for a second and and then you forget about it. No. wickedness. It's vile. It is to be repented of. They're unnatural. We have been sold a bill of goods. I I keep referring back to this incredible book by Rosaria Butterfield, who was um, former head of gay and lesbian studies in Syracuse University and who was dramatically converted by the word of God. Amazing lady. If you're not familiar with her work and her testimony, you, you, should, be, you should become familiar with it. And she's written a new book about five lies of our current Christian age. Someone says they want to have a book club. <laughs> I think we should maybe just to look at what she says. Um, because it's so important. One of, one of the things uh, that she says is where this came from. Here's, here's a lady who's an expert on it. She says, I'm responsible for this. I'm in part responsible for this. I, I, I chaired this great department of, uh, uh, and uh, Syracuse devoted to LGBTQ studies. And then I, then I started reading the Bible. When she, she describes Romans chapter 1, she describes it as, kryptonite to the gay and lesbian community. Kryptonite. And she approached it so carefully and when she read it, she was condemned. It's the way we should all read the scripture when it confronts our wicked thoughts and behaviors. 
But she said the source of it in modern America, in addition to the devil himself, is Sigmund Freud. You know, every college student who takes a psychology class has to learn about Sigmund Freud. He was this um, fellow who, who taught that, um, that uh, everything we do is, is uh, some kind of sexual uh, deviancy. And that's normal because that's the way we're, we're, we, uh, we have evolved. He is a liar. I don't call him Sigmund Freud myself. I call him Sigmund Fraud because he has perverted generation after generation of young people. He is responsible in the academic circles of promoting the idea of the abuse of children, the abuse of all kinds of perversion. He is, the, he is the one that culture points to as being the scientific authority that says this is normal, this is okay. Long before he, he conceived of these categories, though it existed in the heart of mankind to rebel against God, They are contrary to nature. They are demonic in orientation. It depends totally and completely upon the degradation of human beings as mere animals. We are not animals. Human beings are Precious because we are made in the image of God. Human beings are of eternal worth. You have, you have a, a body that was, is fearfully and wonderfully made. And it's made for a purpose. It's made to glorify and honor God. Satan hates humanity. He hates your body, he hates your mind, he hates your soul, and he will do anything he can to destroy it. What a physical toll it takes on people. I, you know, I did a search. There used to be a lot of information on, on the, um, the toll of homosexual lifestyle. It's been scrubbed. <laughs> In fact, it, it's, it's not there. I have a bunch of books in my office that were that, that are 20 years old or better that d- detail it much better than any information. You won't you won't find any of the information about life's life uh, expectancy, those sort of things. I, at least I couldn't find it. The scripture. It does whether it's uh, been scrubbed or, or eradicated. It doesn't matter. The truth is right here. Those who practice such thing end up receiving the due penalty in themselves of the error. That's what it says in verse 27. Committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of the error. That means in every way. That means in body. 
in mind and soul and spirit forever. Dishonorable passions lead to debased minds and that they see fit not to acknowledge God. God gave them, gave them up to a debased mind. The worst thing that could ever happen to a person is to be given up by God. How do you know if you've been given up by God? That means you don't care. You wouldn't be here if you were of that nature. You wouldn't be in the presence of the Word of God desiring to hear and learn from Him. So I want to give you comfort. But we live in a world of debased minds. What is a debased mind? It's one that has rejected the true knowledge of God. That's how the Word of God defines it right here. A debased mind is one that has rejected the true knowledge of God revealed in His Word. And it starts with that knowledge which is completely contrary to human nature. And that is an understanding that apart from God's grace in Christ, we are lost. That's Paul's message. That's why these first three chapters of Romans are so difficult, because he's going to hammer sin, and he's going to hammer sin, and he's going to hammer sin. Well, I got news for you. Until you get to understand how evil and how bad and how wretched sin is and how it affects every corner and every aspect of your life, until you come to the place where you don't, you desire to turn away from it and to repent of it, you're lost. People are lost because they do not want to hear the truth. That's what the scripture says. It says in 2 Thessalonians 2.10 that they refuse to love the truth. They refuse to love the truth. Paul will say in chapter 8 and verse 7 that the, the mind set on the flesh and pleasing self is hostile to God. That's, again, Rosaria's Butterfield's words. As she, looked, she, she looked at Romans 1 and says, it's like kryptonite. She knew if she touched it that her, her rebellious heart that wanted to completely turn uh, against God's ordained order and sexuality would be destroyed. Indeed, it's like a vampire. I, I don't know if, if you go out and we learned how to share our faith, but what you're going to find is you're going to get rejected a lot if you try to share your faith. <laughs> I, I've tried to give a Bible to a loved one. It was like I'm trying to hand it a, a kryptonite to them, just like Superman. You know, oh, oh. I, literally, you can see the physical recoil. People, we live in a culture that, that has completely, in a, as a culture, abandoned the propositional truth of the Word of God. Oh, I don't want that.
The result of dishonorable passions and a debased mind is destructive behavior. I was a I was an army chaplain for a while in the guard and the reserves short stint of active duty and uh, our job as army chaplains was to make make things run easily <laughs> to smooth out through kind words and uh, things that were wrong I, I, I like I my my per, my I, my understanding was I was there to guarantee the, the, the First Amendment, people's right to worship the Lord. But I'm just telling you how, how it ended up. People left to themselves are destructive. Some of you know that firsthand. You've been through that. And God has delivered you by his marvelous grace from destructive behavior and a destructive life. What follows in these verses is a litany of destructive behavior that the human heart is naturally full of. 21 characteristics of evil besides sexual evil that are listed here. E, um, uh, what describe a, a uh, debased mind? Covetousness, malice, Envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, relentless, uh, restless, heartless, rather. Can't read my own writing. Ruthless. Every conceivable type of wickedness that comes from the human heart not changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the world we live in today. It's the world the Apostle Paul lived in. And he was not, he, was, he didn't back down for one minute. He kept proclaiming the truth. And as he does in the face of a foe that will ultimately take his life here on earth, he is fearless. Do you realize what we've done this morning or what I've done this morning will get me arrested in a number of countries that used to be free countries in the world? Just reading this. There's a pastor in Canada who read Romans 1 in a public worship service and they arrested him for hate speech. In England as well, someone on the street had the temerity to, to read and expound this, and he was arrested. Those who partake in this, the message is clear, those who partake in these things and practice these things... The Apostle Paul in verse 32 say, says, they deserve to die. That sounds harsh. They deserve to die. Well, that's the gospel. 
Well, the gospel is the good news that you don't have to die because we are all under the sentence of death. Because if you're like me, you read that litany of, of, of sins and wickedness, you find yourself in a number of those lines. And it's really good news that God is a gracious God who loves repenting, returning sinners. Our Lord Jesus came to declare himself to be the friend of sinners. It is a strange organization that you join as the church of Jesus Christ. Do you, do you all remember the first thing you had to say in order to join this church? The first thing you have to say is, well, I'm a sinner. Justly deserving God's displeasure and wrath. And that bad news leads us to the good news. I read of a preacher who would, uh, well, uh, Jonathan Edwards. He would uh, read passages like this, and and uh, he would leave his congregation hanging every every Sunday. <laughs> and they and uh, they would say, "Aren't you going to get to the good news?" And he says, "Well, you have to come back next Sunday. You have to keep coming back." And that was his point. You have to keep coming back. You have to continually come to the fountain of grace. And that's what we do by the word of God, through the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, which proclaims the Lord's death for sinners until he comes again. This is what we do. We cannot give our approval to those who practice wickedness. Uh, a very famous preacher that some of you probably follow was giving advice in the last two weeks about should, he, should, should the grandmother go to her um, uh, gay grandson's wedding or something like that. And, and uh, he had obviously not read Rosaria's book because he gave her the advice that it's okay. It's not okay. It's not okay for us ever to give approval to wickedness. This is, this is what verse 32 tells us. That God's righteous to, uh, judgment is not only against those who practice all these kinds of wickedness, not just homosexual sin, but also to those who give approval to them. There's a huge difference between Acceptance and acknowledging where someone is, which we must do, and approval. We will interact. We will love people who are in rebellion against God. We will love them all day long. We will welcome them in the, hear, in the hearing of the word of God. We will welcome them uh, in their relationship to us, in our family. We will not reject them uh, uh, for the sake of natural affection, which God has given us. But at the same time, we must not, we cannot give approval to wickedness. Or God will judge us in the same way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
The only escape from your righteous judgment against all sin, including ours, is the cross of Jesus. Fill us with a sense of wonder that you saw us in our sin and did not turn away from us. That you continue to love us no matter what. Solely because of your initiative. But when you begin that work in us, you change our heart to where we repent and turn away from sin. But we recognize our repent our repentance is never perfect. So we confess as we as we prepare to come to the Lord's table how many ways we have continued to sin and continued to rebel. Give us repentant hearts as we examine ourselves to see if there is any any wicked way, any hurtful thoughts within us. We pray with David in the psalm, search us and know us. See if there's any wicked way in us. As we prepare to come to you uh, through uh, offering ourselves in the offering and offering ourselves as we partake of uh, the Lord's Supper. Father, if anyone here is yet to come to faith in Jesus, to recognize they're a sinner and, and they, have, they are powerless to change apart from him, we pray that even now that you would do this work. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.